Okay, let's, let's find a spot. Let's pray. Let's go. It's great that, hey, whoever brought the donuts this morning, you're very popular. I don't know who it was. God bless you, you know. I noticed this, 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 if you come on Saturday night, by the time I come through, it's a ghost town down there. The, you know, the ladies had out cookies last night. It was like everybody was best friends. It was remarkable. So uh, I don't know. It's not a bad idea. If you want to bring stuff, it's great, okay? All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us sinners. Amen. Okay, uh, so many things to think about. If you put money in the basket, we will send it to um, World Relief. That's the LCMS version of care, and we'll get that money to the Philippines. Already I've had emails in my box. It's gonna be, that's going to be a very, very difficult, uh, if, if you even saw the news reports this morning, it's, it's going to be an extraordinarily difficult thing. So um, please, if you, if you get, it's a way of loving other people and, um, you know, getting things done. Uh, I'm going to be gone the next two Sundays, which is a little bit odd, but it is, it is what it is. And we're a little short-staffed. What will happen is I think Tim Hetzner, well, I shouldn't say I think, Tim Hetzner from Lutheran Church Charities will be here next week to do Bible study. He's a very, very good teacher, actually. And um, then the next week, uh, you know, I asked the vicar, you know, do you want to have my Bible study? Humni hod because, of course, he's getting married. Now he has other things on his mind. <laughs> so I tell you what, rather than, rather than put any more strain on anybody, we'll just give you that week off. It's going into Thanksgiving week, and I know some of you travel. And then the following week, we'll get back and kind of get things wrapped up, okay? Uh, the music was fantastic this morning. I thanks to Philip and to uh, Peter for arranging for... Dr. Trotter and the, weekend, the, the Wheaton College Choir to come. I mean, that's just a really, it's a fine group of people. And what's really fun is to hear their music in the liturgy where it belongs. The stuff they, they sing, you know, that, that belongs to the liturgy. And it just, it really energizes the liturgy when that comes. So it was a very, very nice morning. We're very grateful. If you see him or, uh, where is he? There you go. Okay, sorry, I didn't know you were here. Welcome. We're very grateful that you made the effort. I know it's not easy getting that many kids out of bed this early. I mean, I, you're, you're a man among men. Thank you very much, okay? So uh, thanks for that. Um, buy your greens, bring to Christmas sharing. You know the drill. It's, this is, these are very busy months, but they're really good busy. These are, you're doing a lot of fantastic things for other people. Churches, it's very important to do things for other people. It's the way of Jesus, okay? Um, so I want to try to kind of bundle things up a little bit. Uh, yes, Karen Crawford. I, I need to say something Yeah, thanks very much. We love you. We thank you for doing that. Um, for 10 years, Karen has kind of spearheaded Blind Outreach here. They've met uh, once a month on Mondays, had people in for dinner in a very loving and non-pressuring kind of situation. And it's always a good run when things work. And now, um, after a decade, and that's given things a good chance to flourish, uh, you know, Karen's moving on and helping us with some other things. So we're grateful for her. We're grateful for all of you for what you've done. Um, you know, it's a, it's a good example in the church where you find something you want to pursue and you pursue it. And then, you know, when that comes to, you know, there's a period on the end of that sentence, then you can move to the next thing and have some fun. So we're grateful for what you've done and Dave and Judy and all the rest who through the years have helped. So, you know, that's a, that's a victory. So we're very grateful for that. Thank you so much. All right. Um, 
I want to try to bundle things up a little bit. This is, that's part of the reason you have so many different kinds of hands out. I was going to skip ahead to um, the next thing I'd written for you, and then I thought, you know, I won't do that because then when I come back, it'll be a jumble. So let me, um, you have a couple of possible, you have a couple things in your hands, I think. One is number five. We'll do a little bit of that today. But let me tell you, I think, where we've been. Um, it's a simple idea, but often not very clear. Uh, you know, it's a simple idea, but people, it easily goes to, you know, strangeness. And so we're trying to pull you back from strangeness to the practicality of things. It's this very simple idea that everything that Jesus ever did, he did in the Spirit. Okay? Now, the interesting thing is, is that Jesus then gives his Spirit to all of you in the church, and the Spirit gives you gifts. So far, so good. We don't always think clearly about what those gifts are. We often think of them as you know, spectacular or odd, and in some cases they are spectacular and odd. But the bulk of the gifts and the highest gifts are really what the scriptures talk about as energies. And so we looked at 1 Corinthians 12 concerning, you know, Paul says, now about spiritual matters or about spiritual things or spiritual ones or spiritual gifts. There's a couple of ways it can be translated. And he sort of runs you through what it means to be the body of Christ, which is everybody pulls on the same end of the rope. And everybody is esteemed. And of course, this is one of the reasons why people, you know, love the new pope. Every week, he's putting doctrine into practice. And, you know, part of the reason they love, you probably saw the picture of him kissing this guy who was just covered with boils this week. You know, it's very reminiscent of, of St. Francis kissing the leper. You know, for people who are not in the church, you know, that speaks volumes about what the church is. Of course, you know, what people forget about him sometimes is he's, you know, he's a bright boy. Uh, if you're a bishop in the Catholic Church, you have a PhD from somewhere in something. And he was schooled, you know, hard knocks and all that where he was. So um, the church takes life, and Paul's very careful about how the church takes its life. It takes its life from the Spirit, and then we read about how the Spirit's gifts, as he says, the highest gifts are the most excellent gifts, are faith, hope, and love. Okay. Now, I gave you a couple of things um, just to take home and read. One is about, it says, the Orthodox bishop decries the largest massacre of Syrian Christians. You know, I don't know about you. I watch a fair bit of news. I read a fair bit. I'm going to go home today. This is not going to be on the front cover of the New York Times. And I read the New York Times Sunday paper front to back because I want to know what's happening in the world. This is not going to be there. Okay, so this is anti-faith at its height. You know, that people are massacred simply because of being Christians. Um, you know, you can take it for what it's worth. The news is always difficult coming out. Zenit is a pretty, pretty reliable Catholic news organization. Um, you know, just, just sort of read this. You know, if there's anything that's anti-faith, it's killing people for the faith. The next one for me is much, much more frightening, which is clearly anti-love. You know, that in the European Union, but also in the United States, people do have a right to die. For Christians, that's aberrant in this sense. Life belongs to God. The very first thing we say in the first article of the Creed, the very first thing we say in the first commandment is life belongs to God. God makes decisions about life. God also makes decisions about death. Um, slowly, there's been this creep from terminal patients to adult patients who are depressed, and now the creep comes to children. Okay, so the point is, um, in Belgium, the discussion is, can we euthanize our children? The very interesting discussion is somebody will have to make that decision. Either the child, the parent, a government official, or a doctor. All of those things, I mean, all of those things are extraordinarily difficult. 
If you've ever had a teenager or known a teenager, you know, one day they want to die and the next day they want to live. I'm just praying somebody who doesn't have good sense doesn't catch them on a bad day. Or parents who don't want their children around or governments who think it costs too much to care for children or whatever. You can extrapolate this any direction. This, um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a region of the world that fought a world war over the notion that certain groups of people should not be exterminated, it's very, very interesting that not many years later, 70 years later, it's actually becoming the law of the land. This is extraordinarily frightening. Um, it is classic, you know, psychological theory that the abused become abusers. And sometimes that can work on a national scale. Um, you can read it, you can watch it, you can snopes it, you can check it. But this discussion has been going for a long time. The fact that it would be pushed to children is very, very frightening. But it just completes the picture. It completes the picture from the old. You know, it was the unborn and the old, and now it's, it crept down through adults, and now it's kids. So now everybody is at risk, which will very much put the um, Christian church on the outside looking in of what's happening in the world. And you remember in the early church, um, one of the things that they said about Christians, um, you could tell a Christian because why? They feed the hungry, they help the homeless, and one of the things they didn't do, they didn't, it, it, the euphemism was, they didn't expose their babies. Which means you could, in the, in the early Roman Empire, if you didn't want your child, literally you could toss them on a trash heap and let them starve to death. It was the exposure of infants. And one of the things that Christians were known for is they didn't expose their children. They kept their children. They kept their old. They kept their sick. Uh, that became dominant, and now it's not dominant. So the reason this is so important is, you know, it caught my eye partly because of the aberrance of it, but partly because it's exactly what we're talking about. It's when you're anti-faith and you're anti-love, you're also anti-hope. The world becomes hopeless, and it becomes degenerative to the point where it is every person for himself, which then community is shattered, and, you know, it's every one of the television shows that's on about the last part, you have to kill them before they kill you. Okay, it's very interesting. I'm not a big one for kind of doomsday prophecies and watching this and being afraid of culture and not engaging. But this is at a pretty baseline level. If one person can decide that somebody else should die, even their children, you know, that's a, that's a, difficult, uh, that's a difficult, difficult thing. So I just, just pay attention. Um, you know, do what you can, be active in the world, but this is uh, nerve-wracking to me. Okay? So it's not theoretical, the stuff that we're talking about. Good? Just questions about that? I don't want to be alarmist, but every once in a while, you just have to, you just kind of shake your head and, you know, I have a long leash, but not, not for this kind of stuff. So, uh, anyway, there you go. Now, we'll take the other side of it, not to bum you out. You know, this is why the church has the chance. The church will end up, and we are probably shifting to a time when the church is a minority, but I will say America, even the notion that America, you know, was a Christian nation and everybody's Christian is, you know, there may have been some baseline stuff absorbed, but that notion is why there's a government and there's a church and they're not the same. Um, it's just that those things are becoming the baseline stuff that the church used to teach is no longer currency. And so it's going to be difficult, and we'll see what happens with the church. Um, you should watch for it, but don't be alarmist, but you should watch for it. And then you should be alarmist when you need to be. Um, sometimes things are so clear. Okay, good. I gave you the last part. I just gave you, if you didn't have your outline from last time, I gave you, there was just a half outline that started with love at the top. And I was trying to argue to you, you know, we normally think faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. 
But I tried to argue that the existential order, and all I mean by that is the order by which you experience it, is not faith, hope, and love, but in reality it's love, faith, hope, and love. So the story of the scriptures is that the Lord finds you. It's the prodigal son story told over and over again. The, the, the only story in scripture is the story of resurrection. You're dead and you can't do anything. Get well soon, you know, but you can't. So the Lord finds you and he loves you and that love enlivens you. Then faith is next. Faith says, thank you very much. Amen. I'll have some more. This is great. It's never been better. Anti-faith says, oh, didn't I do a good job with that? I did it on my own. I'm king. I'm in charge. I'm first. So every, 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 every energy, every virtue has its counterpart. Every good thing has its evil counterpart. So Christ comes to you and loves you. He says, you're mine. I take you home. Uh, and then you have a couple of stories. You can either have the prodigal son story where the son says, I'm not worthy, and he completely submits to his father. That allows the father to say, you're mine. You're always a son, and you can never be anything but a son to me. The opposite side of that story is Absalom sitting at the gate and saying, as people come to complain to David or bring a if I were only king, if I were only king, I could do better. Every form of betrayal works in this way. You find someone who's irritated or you, 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 you stir up some irritation. And then you say, ah, if I were only in charge, I could help you. I could be the one. I could make your life better. This is no different than the Eden story. The serpent comes to Adam and Eve and says, I could make your life better. Now, if you think logically about that, you're sinless in Eden. It's impossible to do better to be better. But, but betrayal always works when somebody says, the people in charge don't know what they're doing. I can do better. Okay, we see that in our own lives, but especially we see that idolatry is that betrayal. Okay? So, let me just shoot you through this so we get a little of this. Love comes first and last. And then I was very careful to, um, love comes by touch, by physicality by things that are tangible. Love is sacramental. Love is incarnational. Love is Christological. There's a reason of all the, reason, of all the ways that God could save us. There's a reason that there's Christmas. There's a reason that the Holy Spirit descends on Mary and that God takes flesh and blood from her and gives it to Christ, gives it to the eternal word. There's a reason he's born in a manger. There's a reason he hangs on the cross. The reason is it is the clearest way for you to understand it. When the world goes absolutely to hell, the thing that you understand at the baseline is life and death. When things are good, we don't pay so much attention. When things are difficult, when the world is reduced to life and death, when your own life is reduced to life and death, when it's your life and your death, when it's your child's life and your child's death, when the world is life and death, suddenly the cross makes much more sense. Because you have a God who has entered into what it is that you suffer, and he comes out on the other side. It's remarkable stuff. And so the gospel, the good news, the heralding of Jesus Christ, always comes in a sacramental way, whether it's the voice of the singers this morning. You know, the voice is actually physics. There's actually particles moving. There's stuff moving from their mouth to your ear. Whether it's the voice of the lector, the voice of Pastor Nelson when he forgives your sins, whether it's the touch of the baptismal water, whether it is the Eucharist, the body and blood of Jesus, salvation is always sacramental. It's always sacramental. Jesus comes by touch. Okay? 
So his love resurrects us, it changes us, it moves us, it energizes us, and it guides us. And that's what we want to explore. And the challenge is going to be, where we're going to go is, the challenge is to look at the gifts that have been given and then to look at the things that upend it. Where we're going to go kind of by the end of the hour is the seven graces or energies of the spirit and the seven deadly sins. That's where we're going to, and that's where we're going to spend some time over these next, um, next weeks kind of thinking about that. Okay, so far so good? So the, the, here, it's very, very simple. Jesus lives in the Spirit. Jesus gives you a Spirit. His Spirit gives you gifts. The primary gifts are faith, hope, and love. The existential order is love, faith, hope, and love. That's how you experience. You loved. When you're loved, you're resurrected. When you're resurrected, you say, thank you. Thank you is faith. And then you too live in love. It's true this way. Abusers, ab the abused become abusers. The other side is true too. The loved become the lovers. The beloved live in love. It works that way too. That's why it's so extraordinary in a family, in a church, that everybody loves everybody else. Why? Because then people learn to love. I mean, let's face it, um, the kids were out of the cages this morning. I mean, it was... <laughs> the good news is, they were here. I mean, and here's the thing. There wasn't one person who got punched in the nose today. I mean, they find each other, they love each other, kids are mixing it up with kids. I mean, kids are coming with different families to the rail, and I'm like, who's watching, you know? I mean, maybe it's like Jesus, you know, being lost after the temple. You just turn your kid loose, and three days later, you're going to come back and pick one. You should just know the policy at St. John is you take home the ones you brought, okay? It was fantastic, you know, if you love, the, it's why you can't speak a harsh word, it's why you can't have a bad voters meeting, it's why you, you know, when somebody brings donuts, the roof comes off the place, it's why nobody shakes their finger at kids, it's why they come to the Eucharist and get touched, it's why they learn to sing in Latin. It's a way to love them, they fit, they belong, and they will learn to love. You always try, you know this, you always try for the next generation. You want to make it good for your kids and your grandkids. This general, you want to make it good for, you know, Nelson and whoever comes next, by the way. Voters meeting on December 8th for a new pastor. Bukes is the recommendation of the committee. You saw that. And, you know, come, come vote on that day up or down. So just from the 8th of December, 12.30 p.m. after the late service. We didn't want to put it in between at this hour because we didn't want to, if there's discussion, we didn't want anybody to feel like, hey, there's not enough time to talk things over and think about where the congregation is going. So mark your calendars, please. All right, so the first gift is love. That love then creates faith. And this is, I'm at point 12 if you're looking at this. So faith is born from the touch, from the physical touch, from the physical touch of water at baptism with the name, from the physical touch of bread, body, and wine blood at the Eucharist, from the physical touch of the sign of the cross with words of absolution. And faith then responds, okay? Uh, faith rejoices and it clings to the gift. So faith holds on, holds on to life, if you can think about it that way. You know this about physical life. People don't want to die. People get sick. Their first reaction is they don't want to die. There's very few people who give up immediately. Sometimes people do give up. Sometimes, like Bernadine, they get reconciled to it for a positive purpose. But people grip life. In the same way, you grip life, spiritual life. You grip the life of faith. And I give you then, you know, faith has its center on the cross. So I'm at the bottom of this page where it says 11, 12, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified. Okay, that's physical touch. There's nothing more physical than people driving nails through you. I've been crucified with Christ. 
It's no longer I who live, so I didn't do it to myself, but I was resurrected. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We looked at that, that energy verb from um, 1 Corinthians 12. It is Christ who energizes me. And the life I now live, I live by faith. In Christ, says the scriptures, all the promises of God find their yes in him. So he says yes. He says yes to the Father. He says yes to you. You say yes to him. That's faith. Who loved me, first things first, he loved me. I didn't love him first. He loved me in the way that when a mother has a child, the mothers loved the child before the child was even born. Mothers love first. Children love later. <clears throat> Sometimes much later, apparently. <laughs> but then every day is Mother's Day, so keep going. Okay, so, and he gave himself to me. Great verb, charis, that char, all those charis words, and eucharisto verbs, all the verbs about Thanksgiving. He gives himself to me. He gives himself to me. We're nothing but given to Galatians 2.20, okay? So I'm flipping the page. Faith, then, is all engulfing. So your whole life is lived in faith. There's no other way to live. And now you should see that things are sticky. You know, this whole notion of pizza dough. You know, you pull on one, if you ever made pizza, you pull on one edge and the other edge moves. So if you pull on love, you get faith. If you pull on faith, you get love. If you pull on love and faith, you get hope. These things can't be separated, which is fantastic because once you get them going, you know, they really build upon themselves. And once you lose them, the spiral is horrible. You can barely get it stopped. Sometimes you can't get it stopped. Sometimes it goes to destruction, right? So faith is all engulfing. It permeates the whole people. Look at this, Romans 10.10. Man believes with his heart and is justified and confesses with his lips and is safe. This great holding together of you as a human being. You can't, you know, you'd say, you talk a big ball game. You can't talk about one thing and do something else. No, you know, you know. You know, all, you know, you can't be all hat and no cattle, okay? It's, it's, it's about your heart and your lips and your hand. Everything matches. If you say you're a Christian, bring food for the poor. If you say you're a Christian, tithe. If you say you're a Christian, be nice to your wife. If you say you're a Christian, then, you know, be long-suffering with your kids. This is just what Christians do. This is what they do. If you're the Pope and you're a Christian, then kiss the guy with the boils, because that's what you do, Okay? So Christianity is not about talking. Stop talking and start doing. It's easy to talk. Talk is cheap. It's important to talk because then we share a reality. But in our doing, we share a reality as well. So it's so important that faith, you know, takes action. You know, and I give you two words that are kind of lost in the church or maybe, maybe not clear to you, acclaim and magnify. With the heart we acclaim and magnify the divine touch. And now we magnify with beauty, with smell, with light, with the choir this morning. So the choir this morning acclaims and magnifies. What does that mean? Acclaim means you welcome, you praise, you applaud, you cheer. You don't generate it. You rejoice in it. You welcome it. You applaud it. You make it clear. This is the reason why beauty is so important. We've done this over the past few years, but uh, stained glass windows, um, you know, they're just like, Maybe they'll be resurrected at the same time Jesus will next Easter. We'll just see. I mean, it's a big, I mean, whenever John talks and they're like, whoa, this is a big project. We're like, we know. I mean, if you, if you have to cut up eight or 9,000 pieces of glass, it's a big deal. But forward it goes, you know. 
Uh, but beauty rejoices, acclaims, magnifies. Magnifies means you make it big. You make it as big as you can. So what does the church do? The church is extraordinarily proud about what Christ has done for us. We're extraordinarily proud that the church is merciful, for example. So we acclaim that. We welcome that. We're proud of it. We love it. We sing about it. We talk about it. And we magnify it. We actually do it. We say to ourselves, how can we do better? How can we do more? You know, the great curse of Lutheranism is thinking once you're saved, nothing else happens. And that leads to people who are cruel and faithless. The great joy of Lutheranism is to understand we're nothing but given to. And if we constantly acclaim those gifts, we welcome them more, please, right? We talk about them. This is great. When you hear kids in the service like they were this morning, you should be so happy that there are kids in the service. Because here's the thing. People always say, why don't teenagers, why don't high schoolers come to church? Because nobody loved them when they were under 10, so they're not coming back when they're over 10. Love them now. Welcome them now. Be kind to them now. Bring them donuts now. Speak so they can hear. Okay? You want kids to come to church? Make cookies. Okay? Give them your car keys when they're 16. Okay. Let me reel this all back in, okay? But occasionally, you know, and when you do that, you know, remember that the Lord prays for you. And maybe we didn't make enough of that, but many, many people quote me, you know, Romans 8, all things work together for the good of those who love God when they're in trouble. It's true, but the thing that happens before that is if you look in Romans 8, and I'd give you the verses, Romans 8 also says Jesus prays for you all day long, and the Holy Spirit prays for you all day long with sighs too deep for words, which means even when you don't know what's happening to you, even you don't know what to do, the Holy Spirit knows and he's praying for you. It's a remarkable comfort. You know, how can you carry on? How can you keep going? I mean, I just think to myself, you know, the last two or three years have been raw bliss here. You know, and I often, it's a sinful way to think. I think to myself, you know, how long can this keep going? That's the way the Greeks thought. They always thought that the gods would lift you up in order to mush you, right? That's Greek tragedy. That's where Greek tragedy comes from. The gods will lift you up, and at the slightest, if you displease them or show the, the slightest sign of hubris, or maybe just kind of sometimes because they had a bad day, they destroy you, okay? That's the pagan god. You know, the god of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the god who will extend your joy forever. And the only thing that can get in the way of your joy is you. So I've often said to you, we create our own reality. We create it. We co-create with God. He's given us gifts to create this reality. You can have the church, whatever church you want, that's the church you can have. If you want a church that's loving, love. If you want a church that's believing, believe. If you want a church that's hopeful, hope. You have those energies. Every Christian is given those energies. You know, as I said to you last time, you can never say, I can't love, I can't believe. I mean, you can't say it in a way that it's true. You may feel it some days, but it's never true. I can't, I can't hope, I can't love, I can't believe. It's just not true. To be baptized, to get the Eucharist, to hear the Word of God, is to receive the Holy Spirit, and so to receive those baseline energies, the highest gifts that every Christian gets. And all other gifts flow out of those gifts or attached to those gifts. But if you get the baseline things right, faith, hope, and love. Love, faith, hope, and love. You get the baseline right, Everything else can be yours. Where it goes is up to you. It's up to me. Right? You, can have, you can have whatever you want in the church 
as long as you're utterly dependent on Christ. When it becomes about you, becomes about me, that will destroy you. When, it be, when it's always about Christ, this is why we say so often, the Eucharist is the center of life. Herman Sasse, the Eucharist is Christ. So when the Eucharist is the center of life, when everything you do is consonant with the Eucharist, when Jesus is approving of everything you would say or do, then life is good. And you can just keep going. And part of the Christian life is to kind of help each other kindly, softly, quietly, privately. Here's what we could do better. Could you play too? Let's go. Here we go. This will be fun. Right? And so we observe everything, as you know, St. Francis said. We observe everything. You know, we're quiet about most things and we correct only a little because people just can't take too much. You know, quietly, calmly, we love each other. We become this community, no matter, come what may. We live like Christians, no matter what. This is what Christians do, so this is what we do. In our time, in our space, on our square block, this is what we do. This is what we do. This is who we are. Okay, and it's from the text. Here it is. So, how will you do that? I mean, it's the next two things. Faith is faith is light. It helps us see what's so important. You know, John 1, 4, in him was light, and that light is the life of men. You want life? Cling to Christ. I'm the light of the world, right? Or faith is life. It's a way of acting in another way. Look at the last thing there. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything, but faith, and this is what we're trying to do, faith acting in love. That's all we are. That's all we're trying to do. We're trying to figure out how faith acts in love. Okay? I know you think I couldn't go faster, but actually, I can. Because uh, I want to at least push you toward homework, okay? You remember um, a couple of years ago, uh, we talked about how to come free of anger in your own life. It was a difficult time. It was a difficult time in the economy. Every place I went in every church, Anger was the primary issue that both pastors and, um, and uh, parishioners were dealing with. Another pastor in a church in Wheaton said, he said, it's like this demonic cloud has descended on the entire town. It's very interesting for, to hear that from another pastor. And talking to several pastors around town, there just was a sense that everybody was angry. Now, you can understand that, and we worked through a lot of that. The only thing I want to bring back from that is the reminder that the way that you work through anger in your own life is to um, live in hope. And the only way you can live in hope is to know that Jesus himself will square it up. So Jesus will fight your battles, and Jesus will forgive your sins, and Jesus will make it right, and Jesus will do it his way. And to defeat anger, we, remember we did this for a whole year, we talked about this, all you need to do if you're angry in your own life all, all, all that needs to happen is for you to confess that vengeance isn't mine, God will repay. But more than that, where the Lord's Prayer says, forgive us as we forgive those who sinned against us. And so you say, I forgive, and then the Lord sorts it out. It's this great burden gets lifted off you, and you can live hopefully because Jesus will work out your days. So basically the secret to getting rid of anger is simply to say, Jesus will work that out for me. And I'm going to live in faith, hope, and love. Jesus will take care of that. Jesus will square that up. Jesus will make that right. I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know what he's going to do. He's going to do it a different way than I would do it. I would make a hash of it. 
Most of us would certainly be more harsh than Jesus is. We would be more vindictive. We would be more unloving. We would be more unkind. So it's better just to say, let Jesus take care of it. And that's how we then can live in hope. When we know that Jesus will take care of today and tomorrow, then we can live quite happily and quite hopefully because we know our today and tomorrow is taken care of. And so we practice that. Um, I kind of give you a template for this. But you know, faith hears this voice. We've talked about this, you know, 10 years ago we talked about this, about spiritual darkness and how when you're in the darkness, you hear the viva vox, the living voice of Jesus beckoning you, and you follow the voice. When you don't know where to go, you follow the voice. That's, that's the reason, one of the ways that God directs you. In the darkness, there's a voice. There's Jesus' voice. I'm the way, the truth, the life. Okay? So Jesus pulls you forward. And when he pulls you forward, um, it means that we always say, he loved me, he touched me, he gifts me, he put me here, he blesses me. He makes rights, I'm sorry, he makes wrongs right. He takes care of everything the way it should be taken care of, in mercy and in love. And that frees us all then to live in hope. And that, you see, is a meaningful life. I'm at the bottom of 13. That's what gives your life meaning. Your life has meaning because it is aligned with the Holy Trinity. Basically, when you live in hope, what you're saying is, whatever God does, that's for me. Um, even my own death, when God kills me, this is full circle to the first thing I talked about with the euthanasia. So the day God lets me die is the day that I was meant to die. And that's the best possible day to die. And when I die, I move across. Even though all the things I would leave behind, you know, you all, my family, my kids, the best possible day, the best possible thing is to be moved across the threshold from one place to another with the confidence that the Lord sorts it out here and sorts it out there. So that's, you know, that's how you go forward in a hopeful life. We're going to explore all these things. I'm just sort of, we're going to spend the year talking about this, but I'm trying to give you the, the great big picture, okay? Okay, I'm just going to pause there and draw breath. Um, I just want to push you to, the, to the, what I gave you today, the one that says number five. And the reason I want you to do this is because I want you to you know, take some time when I'm gone and read this through, okay? Everybody okay? In one way, you've heard this a million times before. In another way, you just have to be able to say it this simply. Jesus gives me a spirit. His spirit gives me gifts. These gifts are energies. The chief, the chief energies are faith, hope, and love. My life is meant to be lived. Your life is meant to be lived in faith, hope, and love. But you remember in, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, it said, the Holy Spirit puts the gifts side by side so we can compare them and learn to use them. That's the exercise for the year. We're following that, that verse in, in 1 Corinthians 12 where it says, the Holy Spirit puts the gifts side by side so we can compare them, see who's got what, and use them. Okay? That's about where we're about to embark. So I'm at number one. This is where we started. He gives us his Holy Spirit, so everything we do. And this great line from Luther, we live in Christ by faith and in our neighbor by love. <clears throat> love God and serve your neighbor. Right? I live in faith to God. I live in you. You live in me. 
I mean, if you've really had somebody who's ever done a really great thing for you, um, if you can, if you just for imagine, it just kind of imagine to yourself, don't say it out loud, but imagine a thing that was really, really well done for you, especially at a time when you might have been struggling. There's a way that that, now think of the ways we talk about that. It warms you. It lightens your load. It makes the world brighter. It prompts you toward gratitude. It makes you more loving, right? So you live in me. When you're kind to me, that's what you do for me. When I'm kind to you, that's what I do for you. When a congregation works, you have a lot of people doing that for each other. And what happens then is the places where we all rub each other the wrong way get diminished. You can just say, hey, Dan's having a bad day right? Or I'm having a bad day. Or I'm just going too fast or somehow I'm out of balance, okay? But we live in love. We live inside each other, okay? So Jesus fills us with energy. These gifts pulse in us, right? This is everything I've said. And this then is a practical question. Last thing, how do we use them? Okay, turn the page. You've sung this hymn a hundred times, and I bet if I asked you, you wouldn't know where this came from. Um, come Holy Spirit, Creator blessed. We sing this a gazillion times. Look at this. In you with grace of sevenfold, we God's almighty hand behold. While you, proclaim with tongues of, while, while you with tongues of fire proclaim to all the world His holy name. Here's the thing. The hymn, and maybe it did. You know, we don't in the hymnal always get all of it. The hymn doesn't tell you what the seven graces are. It doesn't specify them. And I've already said to you, we started to look around. The lists are so messy. You get four over here and nine over there and 12 over there, and the, they're not all the same all the time. So partly what I'm going to try to do is organize those under faith, hope, and love. But I just give you this, and then we're going to stop. Look at this. They aren't given to you at all. You know where they come from? Isaiah 11, 1 to 3. This will be the Old Testament reading, I think, for Advent 2 or maybe 3. Look at this. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So Jesse, and then Jesus, everybody knows that. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, not you. Wait, hold on. The Spirit of, and here's your seven, wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and fear of the Lord, and delight in the fear of the Lord. So there's seven. Now the trouble is, he gives those to Christ. When the Holy Spirit descends on Christ, those are the gifts he gives to Christ. How do they get to be your gifts? Well, the answer is, when you receive Christ, you get everything he's got. The catechism. Where there is forgiveness of sins, this is for the Eucharist, so you get the body and blood. Where there is forgiveness of sins, there's life and salvation. You get everything that Jesus has got. So where we're going to come back and pay attention to, and you can kind of do this toward Advent, how did Jesus, these gifts that are given to Jesus by the Holy Spirit, so the Holy Spirit gives them to Jesus. And then when Jesus comes to you in the sacraments, word and sacrament, those gifts become yours. And you know what? The opposite of the gifts are the seven deadly sins. So Jesus, the first thing he gives you is this reverence for God. This is your Father. He loves you. Thank you very much. That's what reverence does. And of course, the opposite of that is pride, the first deadly sin. I don't need a Father. I'll make it on my own. And when you talk that way, you know what? You start to kill your children. So it all goes full circle. Is that a sign? <laughs> I love you. We should go. Have fun. Read the outline. I'll see you in a couple of weeks.